Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are the God of time. And as we come to Ecclesiastes and think about our time, that you will help us to understand uh, how we can use our time for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, time's a funny thing, isn't it? We all know what it is until you then have to ex- try and explain it to someone. You can't really explain what time is. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, the 4th century bishop, he said, What then is time? If no one asks me, I know what it is. If I wish to explain to him who asks, I do not know. Time sometimes feels like it goes really fast, doesn't it? In our busy lifestyles, we feel like Hamilton, who sings in the recent Broadway musical, always running out of time. And he lived in before the invention of smart gadgets and instant communication. 168 hours in a week just doesn't quite feel like enough time sometimes, does it? The time we have flies by. I don't know, I've had the conversation a number of times this year, uh, just chatting with people and you're like, it's already August or it's already July, where has that time gone? Or Christmas, it's going to be Christmas before you know it, which it will be. But sometimes time also goes slowly, doesn't it? You know when you're waiting at an airport and your flight gets delayed? Time just goes really slowly. Even when you try and like, find something to do, like read a book or watch a movie, like you just can't get your, your mind off the fact that you're sitting there waiting. Or when you, something really exciting is just over the horizon, a holiday or a visit from a family member, time can just seem to slow right down up until that moment. But then we know as we think about it, time doesn't get faster and it doesn't slow down. We, we live in the here and now. We all have the same amount of seconds and the same amount of hours. And what, <clears throat> is what, what the writer of Ecclesiastes calls being under the sun. So what are we to make of this? Well, the passage we're looking at today in Ecclesiastes is, I'd say, the most popular passage in this book. It was turned into a popular song by the birds in 1965. Turn, turn, turn. It was a little bit before my time. It's used at uh, funerals. It's turned into artworks. It's placed on people's uh, walls in their houses. This, This poem about time. It resonates with Christian and non Christian alike because it's profound. And there's truth to it. And it helps us to think about our time under the sun. Now, as we come to look at this passage here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's helpful for us to remember the context. The teacher, full of wisdom, is seeking out and searching for meaning. He's asking the big questions. Is there meaning to life? Is there meaning to work? Is there meaning to time? And so far we've seen that his conclusion has been fairly consistently meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And he draws this conclusion because of this problem of death. We all die. Uh, But over the last couple of weeks we have seen that there is meaning uh, in life and in work uh, because God is going to call us to account and Jesus has risen from the dead. And we found that there is both meaning in life and in work. Well, today we'll consider time. 
And there is a, a time for everything under the sun. That, let's think about that as the, the now, or the, the here and now. And in verse 1, it says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. This is the, the teacher's way of saying that there is different times and seasons in our world. He's commenting on the way that the world is. And the poem resonates with us because we know it's true. We experience it every day. There are different seasons for different activities. Uh, the teacher starts with the season of birth and death, events that are largely outside of our control, events God controls. But those events do change the season that we're in, don't they? You know, Paul and Renee had their twins this week. That's a reason for celebration, for joy. But there are times when death comes to those we know and we're moved into a season of mourning, of weeping. Not all times are times for celebration. Not all times are times for mourning. We know that to be true. Just like we know that God has given different seasons for, for planting and harvesting. Or as it says in verse 2, planting and uprooting. You know, the seasons for planting are clear to us uh, up here in the Kimberley because of the cycles of the weather. Uh, they change. We go from dry to build up to rain to humid to dry. And then it starts again. And our farmers know when to plant. They know when to harvest. They, they know the seasons. And the teacher lists all different times of seasons. He says in verse 3, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And on the poem goes. Sometimes it's obvious what the time should be, like in harvesting. The farmers know when to harvest or mourning at a funeral. But other times we don't know what the time should be. Sometimes to know what time or season it is, we need wisdom. It takes wisdom to know when to be silent or when to speak up. Do you address that elephant in the room or do you just let it go? It takes wisdom in verse 6 to know when the time for searching is over or when to give up. Do you search or do you keep looking or do you, do you give up? You know, when you've lost your wallet, how long do you search for before you just throw up your hands and go, okay, I'm just going to replace all of the cards? Sometimes it's clear uh, as a diocese at the moment, we're going to elect a, a new bishop at the end of uh, the month and we had to search for candidates uh, to be, to come, that we can vote for at the election synod. And it had a very clear cutoff date. They had to be selected by this date. So we knew by that date that the search was over. We didn't have to keep looking. But then there are other times, like at the moment, our church is searching for a new assistant minister to come and work with children and youth. And that's open-ended. It takes wisdom to it. How long do we search for? When do we say, actually, no, we're going to stop doing that now? Sometimes we don't know what time or season it is. Sometimes we just throw up our hands and go, oh, I don't know. I think one example we see where we kind of just go, I don't know at the moment, is actually funerals. When it comes to funerals, do we, do we mourn or celebrate? There is a movement at funerals at the moment where they're moving from being a time of grief and a time of mourning and loss. And we started using the language of celebration. 
Instead of having a wake, we have a party. Another good example would be our national conversation a moment at the moment around Australia Day. Uh, growing up for me, it was always a day of celebration. Mostly everyone would have the day off. You'd go and celebrate with a breakfast, maybe spend the day at the beach and enjoy the festivities. But today our nation doesn't know whether to celebrate or mourn our nation's history. Which season is it? The writer to Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. But what time is it? How do we know what season it is? Where do we get this wisdom from? Now, it's no surprise to us, really, to find the teacher's thoughts on time, that they're, they're not all that positive. In verses 9 and 10, the teacher asks, What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. The times and seasons for us living in the world under the sun, according to the teacher in Ecclesiastes, they're burdensome. It's a burden not knowing which time and season God has appointed. And so what's the point? What's the meaning? For the teacher in Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like God hasn't quite given us the full picture of time. Like there's a, there's a piece in the puzzle that is missing. You know the frustration when you do a puzzle you do your, your 500 pieces and you get to the end and you realise that two of the pieces are missing. Well, that's kind of like the picture that the teacher here has given us of time. He hasn't given us the full picture because his picture of time does not take into account eternity. And so let's look at time and eternity. Are there are seasons under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, etc.? Uh, but here is the problem and in verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart of, in the human heart. See, God has a time for everything. He's, he's made it beautiful. And God has created us and he's given us a sense of eternity, of the transcendent. Uh, that idea that there is more than this world, more than just what is under the sun. Now, the hardened atheist might disagree with that assessment. But I think most people in most cultures search for the transcendent, search for the, what is outside of under the sun. You know, people in the, even in Australia, people in the, the census were saying that they're less willing to identify as being Christian. And there's more people saying no religion. But that does not mean that there's more people saying that there's no transcendent, that they don't believe in some form of a God or spirit world. And I think if you're looking for evidence, it's just anecdotal evidence, but if you go to a funeral, you hear comments from people about how the dead person is now watching over you. I like that famous scene in The Lion King where they look at the stars for the wisdom from the dead. It's not the Christian view, but it's a popular view today. Or you hear comments like how they've gone to a better place. Or you might have heard it as the idea of God putting eternity in our hearts like you have a God-shaped hole in your heart or a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart that unless we fill it with God and Jesus, we will seek to strive and fill it with something else, something else that links us with eternity. However you perceive it, God has given us this sense of eternity that leads us to ask those big questions. What is the meaning of life? What am I here for? 
Or in the teacher's words, what do workers gain from their toil? But here is the puzzling thing, the, the missing piece, if you like. And it's because of sin, because of our frustrated relationship with God, we read at the end of verse 11, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity is beyond our comprehension, is that what that says. It's too big for our little human minds to get our head around. Uh, we're like a fruit fly trying to comprehend how nuclear energy works. Or like someone who failed high school maths trying to work out how to split the atom. You know, we, we can kind of get a vague idea about it. We know, it, we know eternity's there, but, but it's beyond our reach. We, we can't really fathom it. And the reason we can't fathom it is because to consider eternity is to consider the eternal God. The God who made time. The God who created us and placed us in time. But at the same time has a plan for us to live with him for eternity. And so unless God enables us, we will not be able to fathom eternity. We will not get this puzzle. We won't have that missing piece. And so the teacher says two things. He says, well, we live in the here and now. We live under the sun. So, well, enjoy it. Verse 12. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. We saw a similar conclusion last week with the, the meaning of work. It's, it's good to be able to enjoy what time God has given us. But he also has this sense of eternity Verse 14, he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. And God does it so people will fear him. And how do you bring those two things together? How do you bring now and eternity together? And it's complicated by the fact, if we keep reading through chapter 3, when the teacher contemplates injustice in the world, what he calls wickedness. How can you bring now and eternity together when there's wickedness in the world? And so that's what we're going to look at now, now and eternity. How, how do those two things fit together? And the good news is, is that it's not something we actually have to try and figure out for ourselves. Because God has done that for us. He's done the impossible. What happened is that the eternal God the God who created time, entered into the time he created. Now God at various points in history has made himself known. But at one time in history, 2,000 years ago, God entered history as a man. The eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, came to dwell with us. I'm talking about Jesus. And unlike the teacher, Jesus knew how now and eternity fit together. He had the missing piece. Uh, he would say in his ministry that his time has not yet come. He, he knows the times and seasons set by God. He knew there was a time for him not to be arrested. Just in the same way he knew the time was for when he would be arrested. 
He knew the time that he was going to climax God's plan of salvation as he died on the cross and died for our sin. And he knew that the time for the resurrection was three days later as he came back from the dead. See, Jesus being from eternity brings the, the under the heavens, the, under the sun, the now and eternity together so we can comprehend them. They meet. And it means that our eternity becomes bound with Jesus' life. How do we respond to Jesus? We saw in our reading from 2 Corinthians earlier where Paul outlines how Jesus died for our sins to reconcile us to God. He writes in chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you. And I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. We now live in the time of God's favour, in that day of salvation, where we can be reconciled to the eternal God through Jesus. The eternal Son and his death on the cross for us. See, Jesus, he forgives our sin. He forgives all that we've done against God. And when we trust in him, when we place our faith in him, he brings us into a relationship with God and makes it so that we can have eternal life, so that we can live forever. That longing for eternity that God has placed in our hearts finds its fulfillment when we come to Jesus and are reconciled to the eternal God. Jesus bridges now and eternity. Now, there are two implications that I want to draw out this morning from this. And the first is, be reconciled to God through Jesus. If you do not have faith in Jesus, if you do not trust Jesus, you are not reconciled to God. But God saying now is the time to come to Jesus. Now is the time to receive God's favour. Before judgment comes, instead of receiving forgiveness, you receive God's judgment for sin. See, there is hope in the meaningless of life when we trust in Jesus. And lots of people today might think that because in the West, Christianity is on the decline, that maybe the time for Christianity has passed. Maybe the time for religion and the church is coming to an end. But that's not the case. The message of Jesus is capturing hearts and minds across the world. Christianity is growing in Africa at a crazy rate. In 1900, there were 9 million Christians in Africa. Uh, In the article I read, which was written in 2015, uh, they quoted that there are now 540 million Christians in Africa. That's crazy growth. That's explosive growth. Why? Because now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of God's favour. Jesus makes sense of time. And he brings hope into our time and our lives. Jesus bridges that gap between now and eternity. He solves that problem of death by rising from the dead. And so we need to respond to God's favour in Jesus and be reconciled to God. The second implication is that our time matters. 
Because not only does Jesus redeem us in our life, but he redeems our time that he's given us. Our time will be called to account. How we have spent every minute of every day to see how you've lived those minutes for the glory of God. See, Jesus brings eternity to bear on the now, how we spend our time in the now. And so it's actually helpful for us to think about time not being our time, but God's time that he's given us. We're we're stewards of the time he's given us. And God has given us 168 hours a week, 24 hours a day to use wisely for his glory. We'd be wise to take God's word to the Corinthians and apply it to our use of time where it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, we're not running out of time. God has given us all the time we need. We don't have too much time. God has given us all the time we need to be able to do all the things that he needs us to be, wants us to be able to do to glorify him. Now, we live in a world where we might overcommit ourselves, we might use our time unwisely, we might feel like we don't have enough time. But God has given us enough time to be able to glorify him in all that we do. And now you might think, well, that's easy for God to say. God's eternal, God's outside of time. You know, with God, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And that's true. God is eternal. He sees time as slightly bit different from us. But we need to remember that Jesus entered time. And when he entered time, he had all the time that he needed to be able to accomplish everything that God wanted him to accomplish. And so with us. And so we need to ask, are we being good stewards of the time that God has given us? See, there there is a real danger for us in our individualistic Western society to think that somehow that time is ours. Uh, There's a whole industry making billions of dollars at the moment of this whole idea of me time. This, This idea that, you know, our time is there for us to use on ourselves, to indulge ourselves, to use it selfishly for, for us. To, I guess the, the same conclusion as the, the teacher makes, you know. Well, enjoy the time you've got. Make the most of it. But the teacher, remember, is missing that final puzzle piece. That God entered time. He bridged the gap between now and eternity. And so our goal, well, I think it's fine to, and I think the Bible says it's fine to rest and to recuperate, and to spend some time relaxing. We've got to make sure that we're doing that with an aim to bringing glory to God, not just indulging our own sinful natures. We're not running out of time. But it is very clear in the Bible that there is an urgency to our time, that death is still very real. Our time under the sun is limited. And so we need to heed the warning, I think, of Ecclesiastes. There is a time, there is a season, and Jesus fulfills that. And now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of God's favour. He came to redeem us and reconcile us to God so that we can use our time for the glory of God. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are an eternal God. And though while we are limited in being able to understand uh, what that means, we thank you that you came into our world uh, to redeem us, to reconcile us to you, so that we can have the opportunity through the Lord Jesus to live for eternity. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.